listening to the Spice Larder podcast, a monthly conversation featuring local producers, chefs, bakers, historians, spice experts and more. I'm your host, Julia Roberts, and I'll be inviting guests to join me each month for a discussion about everything from gingerbread and port to food trends, spices and social history. You can subscribe to the Spice Larder podcast via the Ginger and Spice Festival media channels and receive our regular updates and alerts. In this fourth episode of the Spice Larder podcast, we are continuing with our gingerbread theme, but this time hearing from a very special guest, gingerbread sculptor Emily, also known as the Gingerbread Maid. Emily has made some 3D gingerbread buildings, sculptures, props and gifts for companies such as Fortnum Masons, Harvey Nichols, Harrods and the British Museum. She creates real wow factor and they're expertly designed, intricately decorated, modern and show-stopping and we'll hear all about that in her interview. We also catch up with Shropshire-based artisan nut butter producer Zoe Harrison of Butterbell. Zoe, who produces many nut butters, tells us all about the range but also why she's nuts about the spice cinnamon. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the Spice Larder podcast. We are really delighted to have you here. And first of all, I'd just like you to tell me a little bit about you. You are known as the maid of gingerbread or the gingerbread maid. If you could just tell me a little bit about what that means and, and what that is, that would be great. My company's called Made of Gingerbread and basically I make 3D gingerbread buildings for events and installations and weddings and nowadays it's kind of almost entirely 3D edible replicas of existing buildings out of gingerbread or other types of biscuit. And I've been doing it for 10 years now, crazily, since 2020. It started off very part-time, but now, um, yeah, I've been full-time for three years, and yeah, it's going well. <laughs> Fantastic. So let's go back a bit. What motivated you or inspired you to get into the world of gingerbread and gingerbread installations? It, it happened quite unexpectedly, really. Um, so I'd always baked for fun for friends and family while I was growing up. I grew up in a household of people who just sort of naturally baked everything from scratch. So I had a lot of excellent home bakers around me to learn from when I was a kid. And so it was just a sort of hobby in the background for years. And then one of my closest friends has a themed party for her birthday every year. And this particular year she had a circus theme. Um, And I was thinking, oh, I'll make her a cake as a present. And then I couldn't think of a really good design for a circus theme cake. I was back home and found our sort of Christmas gingerbread house templates that we use every year and thought oh I could try and change the templates and make a different shape building um, out of gingerbread and so I made a circus big top and it was really fun to make and then the finished result went down about 10 times better than I predicted it just was a massive hit and so then I carried on experimenting with gingerbread in my spare time I just got really hooked on building all sorts of other things out of it once I realized you could basically build anything you want it doesn't have to be a house and it sort of started from there then there was a period of time where basically I had to leave my previous job for various reasons 
so I had some time for the first time ever and so sort of said well maybe I'll try and do this and so that's where it came from. Great and so it started out really as a hobby and a passion um, and clearly you've your structures were so impressive that people wanted more of them and you could move on and create a business out of it. Yeah, I was lucky to start with. I had um, just sort of a, a couple of, of small commissions, but it's one of those things where it is quite unusual, I guess. So there aren't many other people doing what I do. So I was lucky with word of mouth and the clients that found me near the beginning and then it grew from there. Yeah, okay, so it was a word of mouth thing. And then as it's progressed, do you spend time marketing your business or is it still gathering and from word of mouth? It's strange. I don't do an awful lot of marketing. Well, I, I'm sort of on Instagram and I do bits of marketing here and there. I have bits of press come out sometimes, but um, it actually seems that my clients find me through Google at Christmas. That sort of still, so I, I worked really hard on my SEO, my search engine optimization on my website. And um, now if you Google Gingerbread London, then I come up really high, high up the list. And so people tend to find me, which is really good. So, Emily, um, are most of your commissions and decisions, um, made around for the Christmas period? Yeah, almost entirely. I sort of have about 80% of my work is between September and Christmas. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's probably to be expected. It is um, historically, well, traditionally, it's a Christmas um, sort of Christmas favourite, really, isn't it? And I presume that's because of the sort of spices and biscuit that's associated to Christmas. But people tend to make all sorts of things out of gingerbread for Christmas time. They do. And it's still, yeah, it is really um, still associated with Christmas. I th- I mean, I think it should be in all year round, but... Um... People still seem to just want it for Christmas. And yeah, and there's a lot, I mean, it's, um, it is a great tradition. And there's a lot of people making houses themselves, which is really fun. Um, and I do sort of, I make templates and kits and do tutorials and stuff to, to encourage more people to make things themselves. So tell me, just going um, back slightly to sort of making the gingerbreads, um, do you have to temper the ingredients anyway? I mean, what's have you sort of experimented on finding the best gingerbread to construct installations with? Because I presume some of it um, may be softer than others because there's so many different gingerbread recipes. Yeah, so I've sort of um, changed my recipe over the years. Um, and it started off, I, I used to use this um, really traditional German recipe but it was quite um, different from the one I use now because it's a kind of more, um, it had honey and lemon in it and was more cakey and thicker result. Um, it was about a centimetre thick, more like a Lebkuchen. Um, but it was good for building with, it wasn't brittle. And then over the years I started adapting more biscuity recipes to sort of look more like a normal um, gingerbread house. And the one I use now it's quite it's quite specific it's it's made to be really strong so it doesn't have any raising agent in it which means it's um it holds the pieces hold their shape in the oven really well um sure. and they don't puff up or spread and things like that um so you can make quite complex structures more easily um and know that the pieces you've cut will be the right size and shape when they come out of the oven and it doesn't have any egg in it and it so it lasts for a really long time as well once it's baked and the question is, are all these installations actually edible? Yes. 
<laughs> so right. I'm quite adamant about it. I, there are a couple of them that are technically edible but have to have something inside holding it up in an additional way because if they're excessively tall or something or going to be on display for months rather than weeks. But I never make a sort of pretend recipe. It's always my actual recipe because I feel like if I if I were, if I changed that, then what would be the point of it making being made out of gingerbread? You could just make it out of anything. In terms of the installations, when they're commissions, people and I've seen some of the gorgeous structures that you've made, and you can tell us a little bit more about that. However, presumably, people eat them, or is it just too tragic to pull the sculpture apart and eat it? I mean, what what do people do with them? That was um. Yeah, that was a ludicrous um, thing that started happening was that I would make the things and then people would refuse to eat them. Um, <laughs> and and I would just, but, but, and people a lot of the time assume that I will be upset when it gets smashed to pieces. But actually, that's one of my favourite bits because, well, that's why I've made it is so that it, people can enjoy eating it. It would be crazy of me to be really into baking stuff and then get upset when people actually want to eat it and see how delicious it is. So... I actually then started designing edible piñata designs. Oh, wow. So that you have to smash it. That's the whole point, mm. to really make sure that people actually ate them. Um, so, yeah, they're quite fun. But, yeah, it is, a, it is a weird thing. Even the ones that are set to be eaten, sometimes people refuse. Um, and it's, that's quite funny as a side effect. Yeah. <laughs> baking. The, the real skill with this, I would say, would be, creating something so beautiful and you know that replicates um a building that somebody wants doing but at the same time making it delicious because as you said it's probably easier to, to you know make it out of gingerbread when you're playing around taking some ingredients out so it, it's more stable but getting it to taste good too must be quite a challenge and you've obviously finessed it I, yeah i'm really happy with my recipe now but it took a while to get that balance um but I've even, yeah, I, I'm really happy with the recipe and I use really good quality ingredients to make sure it tastes as good as it can. And actually now I think I'm probably putting in about three times more spices than a normal gingerbread recipe because you want it to have a proper spicy flavour and a bit of a kick. Um, yeah. And I have had, I've even had people who say they don't normally like gingerbread, but they do like mine. So that's quite a... Um, and can you reveal to us any of the spices that you put into your special mix or is it a secret? I can tell you what spices go in, but I won't tell you the percentages because it of is course. a secret. Um, but I do, <laughs> the main one is always ginger. So I make sure that that's the major um, spice element. And then I use um, mixtures that, so the rest of the spices are a mixture of all sorts of different things. Um, cinnamon is quite high up in the mix. And then I've, I use... Um, some ground cloves, nutmeg, allspice, um, yeah, and a couple of others. Fantastic. And do you have any particular preference over where you source your spices from, from for quality purposes, or do you just buy sort of bulk loads of them? I mean, I have, I have to buy them in large quantities, so I'm limited to the places that sell them in, in the UK or in those quantities but I found a really good place in Hertfordshire that's um over really good quality um, and source their places and there, so there's a lot of places that for example if you buy bulk cinnamon you're not actually buying 
ground cinnamon you're buying cassia bark which is yeah. actually a totally different thing and it's much cheaper and it doesn't have the flavor or the depth of flavor of cinnamon um so i make sure and ludicrously my my cinnamon is actually marked as medical grade cinnamon um wow. that's how it's labeled because it's the proper stuff um so yeah I, I make sure that they're as good as they as i can find um but yeah yeah, that's really interesting to know because, you know, you are positioning it as a sort of higher end, more exclusive gingerbread because you're right. I think um, a lot of biscuit manufacturers may probably choose the, the cheaper cassia version because of cost, mm-hmm. obviously. But it's great to know that. And I'm sure that really gives it a sort of more polished and, um, you know, interesting taste at the end. Yeah, you can definitely taste the difference. Once you sort of try different um, different ones, it's so obvious when, you, when you're trying something and it hasn't got the level of spices in it for sure. sure so gingerbread is a fascinating uh biscuit it's been around for a very very long time um market drayton where we host the ginger and spice festival is marketed as the home of gingerbread we have what we believe is the oldest gingerbread brand in the country that's been in continual production since 1817 that's called billington's gingerbread i don't know if you've tried it I haven't tried it, but I've heard of it, and I need to try it. Um, we'll send your yeah, pack. We'll send your pack. It's traditionally dunked in port, which is um, actually delicious, but a bit strange, and there's a, a bit of a history to that. But I think in terms of the sort of backstory to gingerbread, it's really, really fascinating to sort of hear and discuss about it. And maybe we could um, open up a podcast to have a few more people talking about, about the biscuit itself and its heritage. I believe that it's the one of the oldest food pairings in the UK history is gingerbread and gin. Yeah. Which, yeah, tell us a bit about that if you know anything about it. Well, yeah, well, well from what I know, um, it comes from uh, London in the sort of, I think, the late 1800s when the Thames used to freeze over sometimes. So some winters when it was really cold, the whole Thames would freeze over and they'd host fairs on the ice called frost fairs and then one of the stalls that they'd have were the traditional ones would would be selling gingerbread pieces alongside hot gin like a hot gin toddy mm. um and that was just a standard thing that was done that was this sort of a, um so one of the oldest um booze and confectionery pairings which i really like the idea of i believe that elizabeth I was a fan of gingerbread and um, I read somewhere that she used to have sort of characters made and give to her, give a, along to her suitors. I don't know if you've heard yeah. that. Well, I've, I know about the sort of, um, there was the royal gingerbread tradition of having um, gold-leafed gingerbread characters made using wooden moulds. That's yeah. one of the older um, uses, which I think is amazing. Absolutely. And I think because um, we go, you were saying, you know, you'd like to see it sold um, or made, you know, to be more popular around the whole year, uh, which I think historically it probably was. And it's just it seems to have fallen into the sort of Christmas um, sort of tradition now. But I think historically it was eaten around around other months in the year, wasn't it? Yeah, it's sort of um, it's just that we've aligned it with Christmas and then one thing's become a tradition. It's um yeah it sort of yeah. perpetuates itself and and I can see why people have it at Christmas because it is we've, we've got used to having sort of warmly spiced things around that time of year and in winter it makes sense to have something that's sort of going to warm you up a bit um and because 
they can be they last so for if you're if you're going to go all out and make a decorative centerpiece for an occasion christmas is kind of an obvious choice and then it lasts on its own for quite a long time so you can enjoy it all through the holiday um and whereas in summer i think yeah things are less we don't have the same level of sort of festivities do we absolutely so tell me emily your um what's been your most complicated and difficult installation to make as a gingerbread there have been a couple of very uh involved ones well, well sort of two really um one of them was the i did the a version of castle howard in yorkshire it was a really large well the actual installation was quite large it was on a table that was four meters by three meters and then it had the replica of the castle in the middle and then seven outbuildings as well and they were all made as complete replicas so quite accurate representations of all of them and some of them really complicated buildings like mausoleums and um, temples and things and obelisks and that was um, one of the most complicated because of the level of detail and the number of buildings it took a long time and then we had to drive it for four and a half hours to get it to the location there was a tea stop halfway and I couldn't decide if I wanted to look in the back or not because did I, did I want to know if it had broken because there was nothing I could do at that point anyway sure. but did I want to know for the second half of the journey that I was going to have to arrive and fix something or would it be better to just be ignorant and not know until I got there and <laughs> what was the decide. decision it was fine. I decided to look because I couldn't bear not to, and it was fine. So that did allow me to relax for the second half, which was the, <laughs> yeah. was the right decision. Um, but yeah, so that was that was quite intense. And then more recently, um, not the Christmas just gone, but the one before, I did a huge, the biggest one I've ever done, which was a six foot tall gingerbread townhouse installation for the Ideal Home Show. Wow! And um, that took just for the amount of logistics and everything that was one of my biggest most complicated projects because I had to do things like hire a forklift truck and um, design oh a, a wooden interior structure that will be it will hold it all up and then it took three of us well three or four of us and I had a lot of amazing help um, at the end but a sort of core team of us three days on site to build it all so um, in terms of the whole project how long did it take you for that installation that one was a good few weeks if you include all the design time and the consultation and, and working out getting the interior structure built and everything yeah about three weeks mm, wow. um, yeah <laughs> uh, and so what has been your favorite piece um that you've you've designed oh, that's a really good question it's really difficult because that the answer to that does change all the time because often sure. I get really into whatever the latest project is because everything I always learn something new every time I build something um but oh, it's really difficult I like all of them I think one of my favorites to do was actually controversially um not made out of gingerbread it was the first thing I did which was building out of a different flavor and which was so it was quite a challenge and a different experience I made a vanilla biscuit palace of versailles for the british museum do you have um a dream piece that you've got a vision of doing i suppose your time is taken up with commissions but is there something that you know you really want to make um that you know you you haven't had, to, had time to yet and you think you will yes i mean i have a ludicrous book of ideas of things i want to make yeah. um, and there are sort of a few at the top so i have a wish list of buildings that, that I one day want to 
be commissioned to make. So I was sort of holding out on them um, as sort of top five. But then personal project wise, there is a thing that I haven't made yet that I am going to make. Basically, because um, I live on a narrow boat and it's yes. really beautiful. And I have, haven't yet built it sort of because I want to give it enough time to make it as, as amazing as I can. And so I've sort of I haven't done it yet. Uh, but there's potential for it to be being repainted this summer. So I'm going to wait until it has the new outer sort of colour scheme and things. And then I can make a replica of it. I might do it in celebration of having it painted. Of the narrow boat itself. Fantastic. Yeah. So actually you were recently interviewed in, was it Towpath Monthly or something like it that? Was, I, I uh, Waterways World. That was it, Waterways World. Yeah. Um, I saw the article, because obviously Market Drayson is based on the Shropshire Union Canal. Yeah, I think sure. it would take you probably longer to get here in a narrow boat than it would to build the entire town out of gingerbread but you're always you're warmly welcome and if you ever are going around and about in it do uh, do pop in thank you I would love to definitely I would like I mean I am yeah hopefully I would I would love to do a big trip on the boat it's a it is an undertaking just because of the speed it's so slow and then trying to get Locks. back to do work and things but yeah def- definitely one day fantastic and um gingerbread if we're talking about gingerbread brands now, because there are quite a few um, around, and there are still, there seem to be a lot in the Midlands, actually. Um, mm. We've got Billington's gingerbread, but there's Grassmere, which is just a bit north, and then there's Ashbourne gingerbread. Um, it'd be really interesting to feature the different brands that are still being made today and sort of the difference between them. But do you have any favourite gingerbread apart from your own? Uh, that's a really good question. I... Yeah, I am a big fan of Grassmere just because it's quite a different thing. It's not um, what people expect when they think of gingerbread. And I like that they've stuck to this really traditional recipe that's actually quite unusual. Um, and it ta- I mean, it tastes delicious. It's a real treat. Uh, so I think they're, they're my favourite. But then my one of my um, sort of neighbours in my work studio is German and she gets sent over from Germany to make her own gingerbread every year and that's pretty special as well fantastic well we will definitely send you a pack of billingtons and you can try it and uh, if you have thoughts do dunk it in but it's equally nice dunked in um you know tea coffee (laughs) and i think we did um this month's podcast which we're about to feature we did an interview with two of the previous bakers of the gingerbread because there's still um, the owner and there are three bakers still alive in Market Drayton that have baked the brand and the owner said he liked it dunked in whiskey apparently oh I'm a big whiskey fan so that is really good to know I'll have to try that that's <laughs> great yeah exactly um so oh the one last thing I wanted to ask you about was I believe you were the judge on Kirsty's Handmade Christmas when Yana was uh, chosen as the winner is that correct yes I was she yes. was amazing. I absolutely loved it. Russian was great. So, yeah, Jana's been very yes. much involved with the festival. And in fact, I met her through Ginger and Spice Festival. In our first year in 2017, we launched a gingerbread house competition. Mm. And Jana's um, 
entry was Russian Splendor and it was absolutely amazing. None of us had met her before. And suddenly here comes this lady, this amazing lady with this incredible sculpture. And we were just blown away by it. Yeah, that's um, so good. Yeah. Subsequently, she obviously went on to Kirsty's Handmade Christmas and was chosen as the winner, which was delightful for her. Um, and th- last year at the festival, Jana arranged a Guinness World Records gingerbread decorating um, event at the local school. And just waiting for the results, but we think we've got the Guinness World Record for that. So that's quite exciting. So what was the record? Was it the number of people or the size of the gingerbread? It was number of people, but actually um, I don't think it's really been tried before. So, But we had to do more than 250 biscuits, which we did. So I think we had 300-something children decorating biscuits at the same time. It was quite a feat of organisation. Crazy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and um, the local, we have one local gingerbread company um, left in the town. There used to be quite a few called Image on Food, and they sponsored it. And they sub- they now make Billington's gingerbread under license. So although the gingerbread was handmade previously, it's mm. now manufactured, and it looks exactly the same to the same recipe. But it's given it a new lease of life. Um, you know, more can be made, um, profit can be made so it can go further. And it's now on sale in the Hebrides, I, I believe in the Channel Islands. So it's really exciting for a heritage biscuits to, to you know, mm. to, for people to be tasting a little bit of history and that it's still around. I think that's really exciting. Definitely. Yeah, that's great. Thank you very much indeed for your interview. And where can people find out about your business? Thank you. Um, they can find me if you look up madeofgingerbread.com, spelt M-A-I-D, uh, then I'm on there. And on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at gingerbreadmade, M-A-I-D. Fantastic. Thank you for that. And we would very much hope to see you one day at the Ginger and Spice Festival. Thank I'd you, Emily. Love to come. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here with Zoe Harrison, the founder and director of Butterbell. Butterbell make artisan nut and seed butters with carefully sourced natural ingredients and also some with a little bit of spice. So before we talk about the spices, um, Zoe, we'd love to hear a little bit about the business and about you, um, particularly sort of what inspired you to start the business Butterbell? Hi, well, hi Julia. First of all, thanks for having me. It's really nice to be here. I've been really looking forward to talking to you. Um, well, it's, it's funny, you know, because it seems like such a short time ago that we did start and it's actually been five years this month. So, um, yeah, April will be our fifth, fifth uh, anniversary of Butterbell. So we're really amazed still still really pleased to be here and, and carrying on with what we're doing and that's all down to our wonderful customers um i i had always had an interest in food and nutrition at the time that i started the business i was exercising a lot i was eating a lot of nut butters as part of a high protein diet um and i found that it was really difficult to get really nicely flavoured butters, nut butters, that weren't incorporating lots of unnecessary ingredients, um, sugars, sweeteners, palm oil, that kind of thing. So it was very, it was easier to get hold of single ingredient natural nut butters, but not so much the flavoured ones. So um, I thought there was a gap in the market there. So I started to make my own and then give them away as gifts to friends. And then those friends asked if they could buy them and it just snowballed from there, really. 
Wow, that's amazing. So where was the, um, the first place that you sort of branched out to start selling to the public, as it were? Well, at the time, I was actually um, a full-time student at, at the time that I started the business. I was on my placement year at um, Harper Adams Uni, which is where I did my food course um, as a mature student. Um, and the first place that got in touch about our products was actually Greenfields Farm Shop here in Donington. Um, and they were very local to us, just, you know, a 10-minute drive from Newport where I was studying. So they were really interested in having a go with the products and we're still supplying them today. Sounds fantastic. And I just want to go back slightly. You were saying that you were desperately looking for a product, a nut butter product that didn't have palm oil and sort of some nasties uh, of ingredients. And that's one of the reasons you sort of were inspired to make your own. So... Could you tell us a little bit about exactly what does go into your nut butters and why they are so different and why they sort of sit apart from the sort of mainstream nut butters that one might find in the supermarkets? Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the thing the 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 thing there is that it's more of what doesn't go into them rather than what does go into them. So our, our plain nut butters that, you know, most people are familiar with, peanut butter, almond butter, cashew butter, we don't add or take anything away. So it's just 100% nuts. Um, our peanut butter is 100% peanuts. We leave the skins on um, because all of the fibre and the most of the antioxidants are in, in the skin of the peanuts. So um, we, we come from a, a whole foods um, direction with, with, our, with our products. So we don't add anything that, that isn't um, necessary. A lot of the mass manufactured, sorry, the mass manufactured nut butters use palm oil as an emulsifier. So if you've ever come across nut butters in the shops and seen a big layer of oil on top of the, the jar, um, that's actually a sign that it's a natural nut butter. So they haven't added anything in there. So an emulsifier is added to stop that from happening. Um, and palm oil is the most commonly used one with nut butters. Obviously, there are some ethical um, considerations with palm oil due to deforestation and that kind of thing. So we've always steered clear of it. Apart from that, there are the health issues. Um, it's a saturated fat. Obviously, nuts and seeds are monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats, which are heart healthy fats. So we don't see an, a need to add palm oil to our products. All, all that we ask of our customers is that you just give it a stir when it, when it naturally separates. Wonderful. And I actually, I'm a huge fan of your nut butters and I've just recently bought that you've got a great deal on. I've just bought some. And here I have the chai almond butter and it comes in the most beautiful jar with um, gorgeous illustrations, wonderfully branded. But tell us a little bit about these jars because that's you've done that on purpose, haven't you? So you've put them in glass jars. Absolutely. Um Packaging is a huge issue in the food industry um, now, now more than ever with every, there's such a, an interest in, in climate change and what we can do to reduce our impact on, on the planet. So I carried out my research project on, on packaging and sustainable packaging and I spoke to a lot of my customers at the time were vegetarian or vegan because obviously nuts and seeds are very high in protein so a good alternative source of protein. Um, and lots of people that are following a plant-based diet usually do so not just because of the animal rights issues but also um, because of 
environmental impact of, of their diets. So I was interested to find out whether the people that were buying the nut butters were also then in turn interested in the way that they were packaged and, and the way that they used them. Because people use nut butters and that kind of product in all sorts of ways. They're very popular with people that go to the gym and run and, and bike. So um, we also offer, just like the milkman did, um, in years gone by and it's all coming back around now we offer a refill service so people can bring back their empties to us and get 25p off their next jar or just have a refund on the jar and um, people have really embraced that m much more than we ever thought possible that's been made possible because we still go out and sell at a lot of events and markets pre-lockdown <laughs> um, yes. you, you find um that when you're at the markets you have customers coming back with empty jars to give to you absolutely oh, that's, always that's wonderful really wonderful yeah and now that we've got our little retail space at moors as well and so if we somebody was not coming to a market but wanted to get the jars back to you would they send them in the post how would that work we are working on that we're working on that at the moment we're alongside the agri project um in conjunction with the university and we're working on rolling that out on a larger scale so there's a lot of work that needs to go into the logistics of that which is really exciting yeah um, so and we we also offer um a kilner refill service and that is that is we're doing that locally at the moment in telford and shrewsbury um mostly at the moment to catering outlets so cafes and um food producers that use nut butters in their products um you know you often see peanut butter smoothies and that kind of thing in in vegan cafes and ordinary cafes now so we we supply them we take away completely the issue of waste for the product because they don't have to worry about buying plastic tubs of nut butter in and then washing them out recycling them or or perhaps they go to landfill depending on the material we're providing a completely zero waste way to buy the nut butters for catering because we deliver them full they pay a deposit on the jar and then we collect the empties when we deliver their next great uh, just roll over and yeah that's it so it's it's brilliant and people are really embracing that so we're just working on it at the moment being able to roll that out on a larger scale now zoe um i'd love to hear a little bit about the range of products how many do you have and It'd be great to hear particularly, because this is obviously the Spice Larder podcast, it would be lovely to hear about those particularly that have spice based in them. Yeah, so we have currently 13 products, some savoury. We do pumpkin seed spread, tahini, traditional things like that that are lovely in, in savoury cooking and salads and salad dressings. Um, we do our single ingredient peanut, almond and cashew butters. And then we have a range of flavoured ones, things like raspberry cashew butter, tiger nut and cashew butter which is really unusual um, our ethos what we've always tried to do um any really good chef or what you've probably heard um people say before um you only need three ingredients to create a really amazing flavor so we we try and use very as little ingredients as, as few ingredients as possible to create really nice complex flavors um and when you're working with really good ingredients that's not a difficult thing to do you know we don't use anything unnecessary so most of our flavored products are just two or three ingredients 
Um, our spiced ones, we have a gingerbread almond butter, which is one of my personal favourites. Absolutely, it just it's it's just really nice and punchy, spicy ginger, and just a bit of sweetness. We use a bit of coconut sugar in there to sweeten it. It's absolutely lovely. And then there's our chai spiced almond butter, which I know you love. Yes, uh, delicious. Here it is. Yeah, <laughs> and that's um, we sort of base that on. Um, in Ayurveda, so in the Indian holistic way of eating, the Ayurvedic diet, they, they use a lot of chai spices. Chai just means tea, but we've sort of that's started to become synonymous with um, masala chai, which is the, the one that they use. They boil up the, the black tea with lovely spices, and it can be anything. The main ones are usually cinnamon, ginger, and cardamom, which is what we use in ours, and then we just um, enhance it with a little bit of vanilla extract but the cinnamon is the star of the show in that one because it sweetens it naturally which you've probably noticed it's got a lovely sweet flavor but there's actually no sugar or, or sweetener in there that's just the natural sweetness from the cinnamon um, well yes funny you should mention cinnamon because it's actually our spice of the month and so we would love to um, hear a little bit more about it do you is cinnamon in any of your other products or is it just in this um the chai spice we did when we started out because we, we trialed lots and lots of flavors when we started out and everything's been sort of changed and refined over the years which is one of the things that comes along with being very very close to your customers but we did refine things over time and we we did start out with a cinnamon cashew butter which was really really um popular and just naturally because cashews are, are very sweet um, that was lovely but that changed over time to something else and now we, we use it in the in the chai spiced almond and that is that's definitely um, one of our very popular ones and what do you particularly love about cinnamon Zoe do tell um it's it's a, it's incredible there are loads and loads of health properties it's a very interesting spice um it's been known to it does help to regulate blood sugar um, the interesting thing about cinnamon, there, there are two types and, um, you know, I try to be extremely, I have a very common sense approach to food. Um, you know, there's lots and lots in the media, especially now about health and health properties of food and that kind of thing. And you can get very bogged down with, with um, um, you know, sort of material that may not come from very good sources. So it's, it's something to think about and, and something to really um look into yourself um but there there's only one type of what they call true cinnamon and that's the salon cinnamon the most uh, common type is the cassia cinnamon um which is probably what we're more familiar with um because they both come from the same plant obviously you know it's the, it's the bark um the inner bark of, of the tree the cassia cinnamon is is the one that would be most common commonly found in our supermarket shelves and things like that you can find salon cinnamon online you can buy it um you can buy the sticks the cinnamon sticks there is uh, i can't remember the name of the company but there's a great company online that, that sell the the salon cinnamon sticks and the little graters so oh, you can wonderful freshly grated cinnamon is there's no um you know no comparison because it's the essential oils that's that that's where all the nutritional benefits come from in the cinnamon is from the intrinsic oils um obviously over time when you've ground something up that will 
um, degrade. Um, and, you know, I found that early on in, you know, unless when you're buying large quantities of ground cinnamon, and they usually come in the big sacks, you know, unless you immediately decant that into airtight containers, within days you've got great big oil patches on the sack because the oil is just seeping out of the ground cinnamon. So obviously if you can buy it in its pure form and buy the cinnamon sticks and grate it yourself freshly onto your... um, onto your food that's that's the best way to to have it sounds delicious absolutely delicious and um which type of cinnamon do you use in the chai spice almond butter sorry we use salon cinnamon you do um we don't use use a huge amount um of of, of that funnily enough the cassia cinnamon is actually sweeter so the the salon cinnamon the true cinnamon it's it's um, a, a lot more of a pungent kind of, of flavor but with the balance of the other spices um you know you have you do have to get it just right and i presume cassia is sort of more mass produced and therefore cheaper it's still very good for you and it's still um you know it, it, we wouldn't want to demonize it in any way because as i say it's it's the one that's most widely available the one that's most accessible um and it's still very very um you know there are a lot of health properties mm-hmm. i just think it's interesting because it just ties back into what we were talking about sort of towards the start of the interview which is you know your passion for um making sure everything is sort of to a really high standard and quality in your products that you're choosing to select, you know, the slightly more expensive ingredients um, to offer somebody, you know, some sort of more pure and alternative to what sort of is on the mass market, which is really exciting. Yes, yeah. And we've always um, been very careful with our sourcing. Um, Obviously, the majority of the nuts and seeds that we buy in are coming from other countries. Our peanuts come from India cashews particularly we have to be very careful with the sourcing of our cashew nuts because the working conditions can be very poor for um, the processors of, of those kinds of nuts um so it's something that's, that has that's really really interesting actually it's a whole new podcast topic <laughs> oh absolutely absolutely uh, cashews cashews in particular there's a lot to think about with that um well actually it's my favorite nut i adore cashews i think it's actually the uk's favorite nut if you if you have a look at how many how what the volume of cashew nuts we get through in this country it's a hell of a lot it's interesting Um, we we will definitely do another uh, another discussion on that's great so it's it's been amazing talking to you zoe um i know you've got an offer on at the moment so it's depending on when someone's listening to this podcast we're now in april um it's april 17th but you have a, a deal on your website you're selling at the moment because of the covid 19 crisis you're not able to sell at markets and events so you're selling from your website do tell us a little bit about what's on offer that's right so at the moment if you purchase our three for 15 deal which is already a bargain you will also get a free jar of our smooth peanut butter wow good time to buy at the moment that's absolutely fantastic and so for those who've never heard of butterbell and have never met you um do tell them where they can find you online 
Uh, yeah, we're at www.butterbell.co.uk and we also have a YouTube channel that you can look up. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. We share a lot of recipes, uh, recipe videos, recipe tips, um, serving suggestions. So if you're thinking, well, this is all very well, but what on earth do I do with them? Have a look at those because there are loads of ideas. And I do believe as part of this episode in our series, you're going to be sharing a recipe with us. Um, and so if people carry on listening to this podcast, Zoe will be relaying a wonderful recipe with cinnamon, um, probably in a few minutes time. Great. So Zoe, it's been really, really wonderful having you on the Spice Larder podcast. Thank you, especially for your passion, your knowledge, your expertise on artisan uh, nut butters. It's a joy and they're handmade in Shropshire. They're full of goodness. And I recommend to anyone out there to buy some, try them and enjoy. Thank you, Julie. It's been great. Hi, everyone. I'm Belle from Butterbell. And today we're going to talk about porridge, but not just porridge. We're going to share with you how to make the perfect porridge. We all know porridge is a pretty basic breakfast staple. Um, it's a great way to start the day because oats are a complex carbohydrate. And all that means is they provide slow releasing energy. Um, they're also full of fibre, so they keep you fuller for longer, which again is great because you're less likely to snack throughout the day. I know most people will just grab their oats in the morning, mix with either hot water or milk, and within five minutes they're eating their basic porridge. But there's a few simple tricks that we're going to talk about today, and that will turn your basic simple porridge into a creamy heaven sent bowl of loveliness <laughs> here at butterbell we know it's the secret of how you prepare and cook your oats which really does make all the difference so today we're going to make a delicious bowl of porridge with chia seeds and a chai spiced almond butter topping this recipe is enough for one person so we'll start with the ingredients all you need is 40 grams of gluten-free oats, one tablespoon of chia seeds, 200 millilitres of plant-based milk. We actually love using oat milk just because we find it really brings out the flavour of the oats. Half a teaspoon of agave, this just adds a bit of sweetness and it's optional. And then the secret ingredient that makes this recipe extra special is one teaspoon of our Butterbell Chai Spiced Almond Butter. Also, I'll just quickly mention that the chia seeds are optional, but they're just a really great source of omega-3, high in plant-based protein, which is great if you are vegan. So you want to begin by mixing your oats, chia seeds, milk and agave, if you're adding it, in a jar and then place that jar in the fridge overnight. And this is where the magic happens. You'll notice the chia seeds will swell up and the oats will become really creamy and this is what gives them tons of flavour. So at this stage you'll have the perfect overnight oats and you can eat them just as they are, which is great if you're in a rush. However, let's face it, at the moment we've all got a bit of extra time on our hands and I want to feel like I'm sitting 
outside some trendy cafe in Notting Hill with my sunglasses on, with the perfect bowl of porridge that I can't wait to share on Instagram. So grab a non-stick saucepan and gently stir and warm your oats just over a low gentle heat. You can do this in the microwave but I just find there's something really wholesome about taking just a bit of time in the morning slowly stirring your porridge with a wooden spoon and really just showing your oats some love. (laughs) Next pour your oats into your favourite bowl Grab a teaspoon and a jar of our Butterbell Chai Spiced Almond Butter and swirl into your creamy bowl of porridge. (laughs) Now sit back, relax, pretend you're in your favourite cafe and enjoy your wholesome bowl of deliciousness. (laughs) You can shop our full range of nut butters at www.butterbell.co.uk and we actually have a multi-buy offer on at the moment where you can choose any three of our 12 nut butters for just £15. And you'll also find loads of vegan and gluten-free recipes to help inspire you in the kitchen. We also have Instagram, Facebook and YouTube where we post regularly with recipe videos and keep you up to date with latest offers and workshop dates. Thank you so much for listening and don't forget to tag us if you try any of our recipes. You've been listening to The Spice Larder, a brand new podcast brought to you by the Ginger and Spice Festival. Subscribe to our channels to receive regular updates and alerts so you don't miss a show and help us build our Spice Larder community by sharing this podcast today. Thanks to everyone who took part in and helped produce this podcast. And if you don't know who we are, you can find out by going to the Ginger and Spice Festival website via gingerandspicefest.co.uk. We regularly post news, features and competitions to our blog. For example, our Spice of the Month feature, which also includes a competition giveaway. For a monthly free recipe, sign up to our e-bulletin via the website homepage or email us at gingerandspicefest at gmail.com. And don't forget to tune in to next month's edition of the Spice Larder podcast. <laughs>